Stand with me, if you will. I want to read from Isaiah chapter 6. It's going to be the principal text for this morning's message. By the way, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Good to see Kaiapha back. Had their retreat uh, last weekend. Welcome back, guys. It's good to see you. We missed you. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, reading a portion of it, but it's going to be pretty much the text for our message this morning on prevailing prayer. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. A little bit of background. Uzziah was a great king, a godly king, but his last days were not, um, did not turn out well. In his uh, blessing, he became a little bit arrogant, decided that the priests were not the only ones that had access to the temple. He proceeded to walk in to take the censer. The only priests did. They cautioned him about it. He proceeded anyway, any, besides their warnings, and he were, was smitten with leprosy and was not allowed to live in his own house for the last days and years of his life. He died of leprosy. So in that context... In that kind of setting, the prophet of God, knowing that King Uzziah had died such a, a tragic death, he said, I saw the Lord. I had a vision of the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, then one of the servants flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Lord, may you speak to us today. May you communicate your purpose and plan for us as every day we yearn to know exactly what we're to be about. We want the empowering presence of your Holy Spirit to take mere mortals as we are and cause us to do that that is beyond ourselves, that we're incapable in our own talents and skills to accomplish. We want to be in a place where only the power of the Holy Spirit can accomplish what you want us to do. We invite your Spirit to speak to us today to change how we think, to change how we see things, and to press us forward in this time frame that we live in to make the most of every day for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Brad told you we we're going to start the first seven days of February with a concentration of fasting and prayer. Last couple of Sundays at I was 
here in the pulpit. Brad filled in uh, the cup uh, one Sunday, the second Sunday in January. Talked about fasting and uh, giving up something, anything, um, to have interaction, fellowship with our Heavenly Father, to see Him impress Himself upon us. But fasting can't be only the absence of something. It has to be the inclusion of what God wants to do in us. And that's where I long to experience what God has for me. I don't know what he's speaking to you about how you should go about those seven days, what you should give up those seven days. The, the last two days, we're going to have a 24-hour nonstop prayer vigil right here in this sanctuary. It'll start on the 6th, Wednesday night at 7, as part of our Wednesday night service. And we will go all the way through the next day, Thursday, to 7 p.m. We will be signing people up. So you pray about taking a slot around 1 a.m. in the morning. I'm sure that you won't have a crowd of people, you know, lobbying to take that spot. But uh, maybe God will impress some of you to do an all-night prayer. Just be here as part of seeking God. Just the thought of that excites me. To have a 24-hour non-stop prayer vigil in this building. But I'm not going to be talking about fasting. Um, but I'm talking about prayer this morning. Prevailing prayer. There's another term for pre prevailing prayer in the scriptures. And it's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. How many in here want to see your prayers answered? You want to see prayers as? How about the big ones? How about the miraculous ones? I believe that's the kind of prayer that God is calling us to step into. I don't know if we're there yet or not, but I know he's calling us there. And just as I've shared a, a couple Wednesday nights ago, he says, you seek me, you'll find me, and you will especially find me when you seek me with all your heart. All your heart. What is that? What is seeking God with all your heart? Do you think it's more than how we're seeking Him now? Do you think there's a degree? And it seems like there's a degree of finding God that's connected to the degree of seeking Him. That's what I gathered from that. He said, you will find me, but you will especially find me when you seek me with all your heart. So that's the kind of praying we want to get to. And there's these points I'm going to share with you. They're on the back of your bulletin. Because I think prevailing prayer starts with a holy ground moment in our lives. What I mean about holy ground? Well, probably when you think of holy ground, who do you think of in the Bible? Moses, Exodus chapter 3. He's in the backside of a desert shepherding sheep. A bush is on fire in an arid condition like a desert. It should be like that. It kept burning and kept burning, and it drew him away from what he was doing to look at it, and a voice calls out of that bush. It's the Lord himself, and it's in that location that God reinforces what he wants Moses to do. He wants him to go back and lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage into the promised land, and the man is 80 years of age when he does that. There's hope for me. <laughs> when you get the real bulk of what you're supposed to do at 80, well, 
I, I feel better about my life right now. But that's the first and probably foremost moment we think of someone having an, a holy ground experience. But I think what I just read to you in Isaiah chapter 6 is the same thing. It's a holy ground moment. There's prayer going on here. If you look closely, there's a prayer going on here, and there's an answer to that prayer. Isaiah is, has this vision of seeing the Lord in the temple, and, and I don't know how much is a vision or how much of it is a reality because it scares him. It's real enough that he's frightened by the whole thing, and I think holy ground moments have a frightening factor to him, right? Because we are who we are, and God is who he is, and when we come closer to that, there's not really a, a comfort level to that. If anything, there's a discomfort level. And it happened with Moses. What did Moses do at that holy ground moment? Not me. I, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I can't even talk good. Isn't that what, how you reacted? Well, Isaiah had the same kind of experience. But look at this holy ground moment. This is God's presence, and it invades Isaiah's presence, and he changes. He changes in the midst of seeing the doorpost shake, the threshold shake, because he was in the presence of God. C.S. Lewis said, I don't think any of us would be really comfortable at the moment that we stand in the presence of absolute goodness. When we stand in the pure presence of God, I don't know if we, any of us will be comfortable. And in fact, most of us will probably hit our knees. And that's what kind of what Isaiah did. Let me take you to Luke chapter 5. This is probably the only place other than Isaiah 6 I'm going to reference. Peter had a holy ground moment. He had a real holy ground moment. And it's not anywhere near what Isaiah had happened to him. Let me, I'll, just, I'll just go through this and summarize it. Jesus is early in his ministry. This is Luke chapter 5. He's just went through his temptation. He's starting to preach and teach, and crowds are starting to gather. And he's there at the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is nothing but a large freshwater lake. We would not call it a sea in our terms. We'd call it a lake. It's freshwater. It's teeming with fish. And it's really one of the real centers of Galilee where people, were, people lived around that lake and they made their livelihoods off of it. Peter, James, John, Andrew, a lot of them lived off of that lake. He's teaching and the crowd is pressing in and they're gathering and they're getting larger and he needs more space to preach to them. And he sees two fishing boats docked over to the side. He goes over and Simon Peter owns one of them. And he says, can I use your boat? Can I borrow this boat? Just push out a little bit so I can finish my teaching to the crowd. And he said, sure. So he pushes out. He teaches the crowd. I'm summarizing. This is exactly how it unfolds. He finished teaches, and they're finished fishing. They're washing their nets, cleaning their nets. And he looks over to Peter, and he says, I want us to go out a little deeper so you can throw your nets out for a great catch of fish. Peter says, oh, we've fished all night. They're not here. We have no luck at all, nothing. And he says, but because you said we should do this, we'll do it. 
Well, you know how that story unfolds, right? There's nothing like, anyone here likes to fish? You know, it's just really a neat feeling when that rod and reel starts doing something in your hands. Yeah. Especially if you're out deep sea fishing and what you catch out there is really noticeable when it gets on the other end. But they were fishing with nets, and as they went to tug on that net, they could feel the vibration of the fish in that net. But what they were astonished is that they were having trouble pulling it up where the net was starting to break. So many fish was in the net that they yelled at to the other boat, possibly James and John's family. They were fishermen. They called out, says, we need help. They started piling fish in both boats to the point that the Bible says that the boats became vulnerable to sinking. And I just, you know, people who love to fish and those great fishing trips where you meet your limit and that's the ones you tell stories about. And I'm thinking that Peter is so excited. This is, this is wonderful. And then fish up to his knees, he realizes who's in the boat with him. It's no longer about the fish. He just had it proved to him that the one who told him cast out a little bit further for a great catch was holy. He hit his knees. And what did he say? Depart from me. I like what uh, the message said about it. This is my second point is that when you're on holy ground, <laughs> suddenly you're confessing stuff to the Lord you didn't know about. I'm sure that Isaiah wouldn't walk around before that moment and says, you know what? I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. <laughs> and go around telling people, no, it's when he came into the presence of God himself that suddenly it exposed him. It exposed things about him that he didn't know was there. He said, I'm a man. I'm, I don't belong here. And Peter's basically reacting the same way. I don't belong here. You don't belong in my boat. You do not belong around me. Leave me. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. That's, isn't that what he said? This is a heart confession. I wonder, I wonder how many of us need a, a, an encounter with the Lord to the point that we have a heart confession about things that we don't even know is inside of us. But because we haven't had a holy ground moment, we don't know that. We haven't been exposed to that. And I'm telling you, when we have those kind of encounters with the Lord, we suddenly know our own vulnerability, our own weaknesses. And we, like these people, they cry out to God. The message says it like this. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus and, Master, leave. I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. And what did Isaiah say? He said, woe is me, I'm in trouble. Woe is me, for I'm undone, I'm, I'm ruined. Those were his first words. I am in trouble because of what presence I'm in. This is the heart confession. This is where prevailing prayer comes from an encounter with the Lord to where we get honest about ourselves because he provokes us to honesty. 
where the light of his presence kind of shines into our light and we says, wow, I'm in trouble. You want to know something? I, as much as he loved fishing, as much as it was in his blood, in his family's blood, as much as he made, uh, I think probably initially he says, this is going to be a really good week at the market. I think it was easy for that man to walk away from fishing after that. I think when he saw this preacher preaching and teaching know more about what was beneath the water than he did, I believe he said, I can trust that man. I'll put my life on his shoulders. He will take care of me. I can give this up in a heartbeat. And I think he gave up fishing for Bible college real easy. <laughs> Sign me up for a three-year degree, Lord. I can leave this all behind because he had this holy ground moment. Now, what I'm, I'm saying to you and to even myself is that we need holy ground moments in our lives. We need these encounters with the Lord to where we just get honest. If, if we got cracks in our lives that we know about, that's one thing. But we need those kind of encounters with the Lord that shines on where we don't know we have weaknesses. And we don't know what's wrong with us. And all of a sudden, the presence of the Lord brings a different focus on our own humility, our own weaknesses. And this is, this is the one that kind of jumps out at me and is all in our Sunday school class out, out here, is that the two cases are similar. Isaiah and Peter's case are very similar after this point. After they've had the encounter, they're both very similar. What was it that God wanted Isaiah to do? After this encounter, what, what was it that God really, after he confessed that he was a man, he, was, he had unclean lips and his culture he was with was unclean. And the angel, one of the angels came and took the coal and touched his lips and says, your guilt is taken away. And then God speaks to himself what he wants Isaiah to do. What was it? Go. He said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? He had a mission for Isaiah, and that mission was to go to people and preach his message. Go to people and preach a message that they will not accept. But that's not your worry. That's up to me. You go and preach, just like Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah, I really, when I went into ministry, I kind of identified with Jeremiah when I, I read that one day where he told Jeremiah, when you preach, don't worry about their faces. <laughs> That's why I look at the screen back there. And I'm sometimes hesitant to make contact, eye contact. It's like, like what what did what, you just say? But he was saying to Jeremiah, he says, you don't worry about the results. You preach. I will take care of the results. And he's really telling Isaiah, you're going into a situation to preach that people are not going to accept it. But you just preach it and preach it and preach it. That's all I'm calling you to do. Because he wants the masses to hear the gospel whether they receive it or not. This is what Paris Reedhead came to see in, in his message, 10 shekels in a shirt, that he, that he was upset that God sent him to Africa and these people didn't want to hear the gospel and he was just thinking, I'm wasting my time here. And he's complaining to God like we don't ever complain to God, right? 
you, you, you put me here in Africa and these people know more about sin than I thought they knew and they don't want what I hear, what I'm saying. They don't want you. They don't want to change. And he says, you, this is just a small thing that you call me to these people who don't want what I'm saying. And in that message, if you've never heard it, it's profound when he says, the Lord spoke to him and says, I didn't call you to preach for them. I called you to preach to them for me. Am I not worthy of the message that I want people to hear? I deserve the worth of them hearing it whether they receive it or not. And I don't know if we can have prevailing prayer. And, and, and how I finish this, just bear with me. I don't know if we can have prevailing prayer in our lives if not at the core of our prayer life is the salvation of the lost. The very core of the heartbeat of God is souls. That souls be saved, that souls come to know the Lord, whether they're children teenagers, college students, young adults, middle age, or elderly. He still wants them to hear the gospel. He wants us, and that's what he said to Isaiah, who will go for, for us? Who will take up this challenge? And Isaiah, after his mouth had been touched and after his soul had been touched, he says, hey, send me. Send me. I'm ready now. Since you've touched me, I'm ready I dare say that probably there's some in this room that don't feel really com comfortable sharing their faith. That's why we need holy ground moments. Because we just need to be stirred in our heart to share it and let the results be in God's hands. But not to draw back and not sharing it. What did he tell Moses to do? He told him to go and tell Pharaoh, and he had the same excuse, but I can't talk well. He was trying to get out of it. It was more than what he thought he could do, and this is what God may call you to do. He, he calls you something, you say, well, that's not in my skill set. <laughs> I don't have a personality for that. But Peter, this is what he said to Peter. And to Peter says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. You know, you don't need to be in my boat. You don't need to be anywhere near me. And Jesus said, that's okay, Peter. You're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. You're going to be fishing for men. I'll teach you a different way to fish. You will fish for people. Change Peter's trajectory right then and there. Can we have prevailing prayer for anything without a driving passion for the lost to be saved? I don't think so. We want miracles. We want healings. But where's our passion for the lost? I think they're connected. I know they're connected. Because you go to Mark's gospel. This is how we're going to finish up this morning. Go to Mark's closing words. This is the Great Commission. Isn't it something we heard this in Sunday school? And here it is in my notes. The Lord says to the disciples, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. 
And whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow them who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. And here's the last word. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word with the signs that accompanied it. What was first? It was the gospel. It was the good news. And when he shared that good news and they did what he, they went out and preached, all of a sudden these miracles start following the preaching of the good news. This brings me to the last point. It's, this is our time. This is our turn. This is my turn. This is your turn to pick up the mantle of what God has deposited in our lives through others, and we're to run with it. It's, it's our time now to function in the kingdom of God. It is this moment. We have heard preaching. We, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed. I have no excuse to live any other life than fully committed to the Lord because that's all I saw growing up. Between my mom and dad, both of them were saved before I was old enough to realize it. So all I knew was growing up with two people who prayed, who prayed over us, hardly ever took us to a doctor. <laughs> There's some stories there. Oh, Lord. Um, maybe they didn't have money for a doctor. But they just prayed, and they trusted God. And God worked through them with signs following. You know, we never missed a service. Never. We never missed a Wednesday night. We never missed a Sunday night. We never missed a revival night. I didn't know that people didn't go to church. I thought everybody did what we did because it was like this was our world. It was where we lived. We never thought there was a different choice. But now it's my turn. And you know their influence in me was so profound that uh, when we had kids and we were pastoring and Jason was two months old when we pastored our first church, should have, they should have never elected me as a pastor. That's, oh, Lord. They were desperate, and I guess I was desperate, so we made a very good team. But when he got old enough... And we were pastoring Jacksonville to play peewee football. And I heard that he was going to practice on Wednesday night. I said, well, that's going to be a problem, son. I went and talked to the coach. I said, we, we can make this real quick and simple. We have church on Wednesday night. We have something called Royal Rangers, and we have something called Missionettes. Now it's Impact. It says, he's in Royal Rangers. He can't miss Wednesday night. And this is the latest he's going to practice at 6.30. At 6.30, I'm going to pick him up. Now tell me now if that's going to affect his playing time, because you can just take his name off the roster and we'll be done with it and everybody be happy and we won't have any frustrations. And he looked at me and says, not a problem, sir. You come and pick him up, glad he's going to church. Now that is just like reversed. The coaches don't think that that's a priority. Well, we won't practice. And yeah, it'll affect his playing time. Well... We need to make that call. Here's our turn. Where's our turn at? What are we doing with our turn to superimpose on the ones around us what was influenced by us, not by 
not by rules and regulations, but just by lifestyle. They, they never came to us and said, this is, a, this is why we never miss church. I never heard that. We just did it. And now it's our turn. Do we believe that the gospel should be preached throughout the entire world? Do we believe it should be preached within our personal world? That's what God is calling us. He's calling us to be. He says, well, you know what? I, I don't think I've been trained to do that. That's great that you've come to that conclusion because we can help you. And we all need to be about preaching the gospel. I believe prevailing prayer is going to be released when the heart of God is imposed upon us for the people who are lost. There's people in this room. You know, I'll ask you the same thing the youth pastor in Fort Collins, Colorado asked a couple of weeks ago. He says, how many are confident in this room that if you died tonight, you would go to heaven? And on a scale from 1 to 10, if you did die tonight, what number are you confident that you would go to heaven? And so I'm going to summarize his sermon in like two sentences. At the end of it, he says, the only numbers that you can put there is 10 or 0. You either know or you don't know. And the ones who know is not because they live such good, godly lives. It's because they know the cross and the resurrection is the core of their life. And they put their faith in him who hung on the cross, who gave his life up for us, who was raised from the dead, and he calls us to take our turn at being fishers of men. Would you stand with me? And the praise team come up. Is, is Lolly with Sister Davis? You see, is it, is it available for, for Brother Davis to come up here? If, if somebody would just stay with Sister Davis? Somebody let Brother Davis know I want him to come up here. Yeah. You know, we, we've had people pray over us now in heaven. My mother prayed for us. Prayed, 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 prayed for us. I, I wish I could stand up here and say I have patterned my prayer life after I've got a ways to go, but I want to get there. And I want Brother Davis to come here. Um, spent 30-plus years in India. I'm going to tell you, God is doing something so incredible in India. It's because of people like he and Sister Davis that went in lean times where they got ran out of places, doors slammed in their faces. The church that they helped build in Pune is now probably, how many worshipers do they have there at the main campus in Pune? About 4,200. When they were there, they were down to actually two families. And now there are probably about 40 branch churches now beyond the 4,200. Ezekiel Joshua, who, man of God in India, went into Afghanistan as a missionary when the Taliban was in charge of Afghanistan. 
was kicked out of Afghanistan, went into Nepal, and Nepal was a barren field. Just sent out a newsletter that he preached for David Mohan in Chennai, Madras, when there was 30 and 40 people in that church. Today, at the Assembly of God Church, that Pastor Mohan pastors, 42,000 people make up that congregation. I, that's not a misquote. 42,000 people are in the church. There was a time only 30 or 40 people. I want, I want to know who here wants to see the explosion of God's harvest in this city like never before. Not just with us, but for the church as a whole. That you want to see the unusual move of God, an encounter with the living God, a holy ground encounter. That's as specific as I can get. And I want Brother Davis to pray over you what he has seen God do in India, God wants to do here in this city. So if that's where you're at, I want you to come and stand across the front. We're going to take a little time. If we fill up, we'll get in the aisles. But come, if I want to see that kind of multiplication of disciples. I want to be in a holy ground moment. Lord, give me an encounter with you, Lord. Give me an encounter with you, Jesus, that changes me, Lord. That breaks me, that breaks my heart for our world, for our culture, that breaks our hearts, Lord, for the university campuses and breaks our heart for our neighbors, Lord. We need an encounter with you this morning. We cry out to you. You said if we seek you with all our hearts, that we would find you, Lord. And this is our step that way. Seeking you, seeking you, reaching for you, crying out to you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, and reveal yourself. Reveal yourself to our city. Reveal yourself to our county, to our state. Reveal yourself to drug addicts. Reveal yourself, Lord, to those who are broken, those who are in prison, those who are in jail, those who are in bondage, Lord. Reveal your great power. say one thing before I pray I want you to fix it in your heart your mind that the church is the only thing on the scene today that the world has going for it think with me on that a moment or the only thing the world has going for it today nothing else we're surrounded with as the promise of the church as we go with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's commit ourselves afresh to the command to go and preach the gospel. Father, I thank you today that the results of preaching the gospel are so real and precious and there's waiting and explosion to come. If the church today will realize who we are, why we are, and what we are to be about, leaving everything else aside, putting you first, 
and saying to you a final commitment, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I thank you today that people in the land like India, they're, they're doing this very thing today. They are committing everything they have, even committing to you knowing that their lives will be threatened and some really actually will give their life for their testimony. But their heart's cry is, give me India as my, as, as, as what, as my reward for the labor and the love that Jesus first of all gave. And now help me to be willing to give as Jesus gave, even if it means my life. Lord, we pray for our world today. We know what the church has to offer, and we know that politics and, and finance and money and accumulating and all of these things are not what the world needs. What the world needs is Jesus. And we are the only thing out proclaiming this name that's done wondrous things in our own lives. And we're so grateful. Thank you for it today. Recharge us, Lord. Refill us, Lord. Help us, I pray, in the name of Jesus to be all that we can be in these days of our lives as we wait your return to take us to be with yourself for that's the promise we have and we rejoice in it today receive our willingness lord and make it uh, beneficial to your name and bring an honor to your name and we'll praise you for it for we ask it in the name of jesus amen if we don't go who will God help us today in Jesus' name.